Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast with Chris Dortch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us. Coming up on our show today, we're going to head up north and visit with Purdue assistant coach Paul Lusk, the well-traveled Purdue assistant coach. He's going to tell us about some of their uh, travel situations they've had. Uh, like the program I work for, Vanderbilt, uh, gone coast to coast uh, over the uh, last couple of weeks, but uh, they, they certainly have had a little more difficulty in their travel than, than we have. So looking forward to visiting with Paul. Really good stuff and uh, part of a staff for Matt Painter that has a very good basketball team. Chris, uh, I guess real quick, get all the books sent out to everybody. I know last time I talked to you, you were pulling your hair out trying to get everything uh, in the mail and, and make sure everybody has those uh, hard copies of Blue Ribbon in their hands. We are shipping daily at the expense of my knees. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I like to jump in and, and help our uh, our crew, and, and uh, I probably lifted a, a little bit too much for a gentleman of a certain age. But uh, hopefully, it's just a temporary thing. I've tried various remedies uh, <laughs> with varying success. Uh, one one remedy I want to talk to you about off air. Oh, okay. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what's really been a good salve, though, for aching knees. Get in my chair, my favorite chair, and watch some ball. Uh, And it's been great. Feast week was great. Uh, Some of the team performances were fantastic. Obviously, you mentioned we're going to be talking to Coach Lusk from Purdue. Those guys were dominant uh, in the Phil Knight uh, tournaments well this they they won the legacy there was also the phil knight invitational mm-hmm. but the scores by which they beat people were unbelievable west virginia 80 to 68 gonzaga 84 66 duke 75 56 purdue was the second team ever in the first since ucla remember those awesome ucla teams right 60s since ucla in 1968 to win back-to-back neutral side games by 18 or more points against top 10 ranked teams. So that takes in some ground, man. And just the way they're playing, Zach Eady obviously has been dominant. He's as sure a bet to get you a bucket as anybody in the college game. He's just such a big dude, but people don't understand how mobile he is. He played hockey and baseball in, in high school up in Canada. And I read a story where Matt Painter really judged his potential by how he performed as a pitcher. He just saw some things. I know the St. Louis Cardinals do this, and uh, obviously a fan of the Cardinals, as you know, but they always draft, usually draft college pitchers who are big and athletic. And I guess that just projects out. And certainly it it did for Zach Eady. He's a big, huge dude, but he's not a plotter. You know, he's not a gazelle either. But he can get his place in the post. And when you toss it to him, it's as good as in. There's not much you can do besides follow him. And he's become a much better free throw shooter this year, too. So follow him at your own peril. Yeah, so much of it for big guys, especially if you can find big guys who are athletic and can beat everybody down the court get to that low block and get that position where, you know, they can seal you off and you get an easy bucket. And, yeah, he's been terrific. I was looking at some of his numbers uh, from that tournament uh, out in Portland, 21-12 and 12 against Duke, 23-7 and 7 against, against Gonzaga, and 24-12 and 12 against West Virginia. He won MVP, and as we'll talk with uh, Paul in just a little bit, uh, nice game at Florida State as well, 25 points and eight rebounds in that one. So uh, Purdue is off to a 7-0 and 0 start, and, and Zach Eady has looked like one of the best players in the country so far. They 
uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge, which, as it turns out, is uh, the final ACC Big Ten Challenge. has been going on this week. A couple of the marquee games from Wednesday night. 10th-ranked Indiana beat number 18 North Carolina 77-65. Trace Jackson Davis 21-10. Hoosiers did a whole lot of their damage from two-point range. 50% overall. Uh, Baycott and Nance had double-doubles for Carolina. They're 5-3, and three and everybody's trying to figure out what's wrong. They've been playing some good competition, for one thing. Indiana 7-0, and oh, and... Uh, Hoosiers looking like uh, they might be on the on the right track. So it might be setting up for some fun Indiana and Purdue matchups here down the road. Yeah, uh, our buddy Kevin Brockway, who has written for Blue Ribbon for years, he was uh, had a great job in Indiana covering Purdue and Indiana. And this summer he took a job, went back to Gainesville to, to cover Florida football. I'll bet he's going to miss out on – he's missing out on a great <laughs> year. Uh, you know, you talked about North Carolina, and they were our preseason number one, and I, I still believe they'll be heard from down the road. But I think so far the thing with Carolina is uh, their guards have really taken an, an overly, uh, um, I, I think, uh, too much uh, a part of their offense. Uh, Love and David are – have taken 115 of the team's 200 field goals uh, in the th- in their three consecutive losses. That's 58% of your shots coming from two people. And you've got guys like Armando Baycott and, and Pete Nance who need to get touches in the paint. So I think they'll get that straightened ar- around. I was really entertained by that quadruple overtime loss to Alabama. Uh, it was a struggle for both teams. Alabama's going to be really good. Brandon Miller, the freshman, a lot of people are saying he might be the best freshman in the country. Yeah, he's from here I'm in Nashville. I'm not sure about that. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is, he is from Nashville. I, I always wonder why Tennessee never had a shot at him, but I think both his parents went to Alabama. So, uh, you know, he, Tennessee was never going to get him, I don't think. Yeah, Alabama beat Carolina in four overtimes, 103-101. That was probably the game of the year so far. And uh, Javon Quinterly played 44 minutes, only a few yeah. months removed from knee surgery. That's pretty remarkable. He hurt his knee in March, dude. Yeah, he hurt it. It's incredible. Yep, sure did. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's incredible. It, it used to be back in the day, if if you tore an ACL, you were done for a year, probably minimum. And, and that's really – that's still the case for a lot of people now. Uh, that it take, yeah. takes that long to get fully back. I was talking to a player the other day that had had knee surgery, and he, he said it just took him almost a, a complete calendar year just to have confidence in that knee that it was going to be okay. Yeah, right, yeah. the mental aspect of it, exactly. Yeah, but but literally, as, as a point guard who's, you know, quickness is a factor, and, and being able to cross over and, and, and blow by people, uh, for him to get back this quickly, he injured his knee in March, and it, it hurt Alabama's postseason chances, but he's come back eight months later. And, you know, by the fact that he got in 44 minutes in that epic four overtime game, that's one of the most impressive uh, individual performances I've seen this year. And there's been a lot of them. Mm-hmm. A couple other scores from the ACC Big Ten matchups. Uh, Duke beat Ohio State 81-72. Notre Dame over Michigan State 70-52. to Going back to Tuesday, I thought the Virginia-Michigan game was a, was a terrific game. Uh, Michigan had a chance to maybe hit a three there at the end. They thought they got fouled, but Virginia got out of there with a win. They had rallied to, to come back. Uh, so Illinois solved Syracuse's zone in a, in a blowout for the Illini. And Maryland continues Louisville's misery. They That game was over at halftime. 
what in the world is going on with Louisville? I mean, they, they're still winless, and we're a month into the season. Uh, it's almost like sad to watch for, for somebody like me who was, was a kid in Louisville when the Doctors of Dunk were playing, and they were winning national championships and going to the Final Four pretty much every year. And to see them struggle like this, and it's the first year with Kenny Payne as head coach, and I know, you know they've had sanctions and everything else up there, but, man, it, it's hard, it's, it was hard to watch the other night when they were playing Maryland. It was kind of hard to figure out what exactly they were doing. Yeah, you know, what's going on now is the result, even dating back to Coach Patino, improprieties here and there. And obviously, when you don't know what's going to happen to your program from an NCAA standpoint, you're ripe for negative recruiting from your opponents. And, you know, the well is just a little dry. I I think guys got in the portal and got out of there, and maybe they, they, they dipped into the portal and maybe didn't make quite the right decisions. So... I think Kenny Payne is a good dude and a good coach. He's a first-year head coach, though, so sure. it's a difficult situation to put him in, uh, especially you know if you follow in the footsteps of a Denny Crum and a Rick Pitino. So it's going to take a while. It really is. When you get down in a league like the ACC, it's going to take a while because nobody has any pity for you. Nobody has mm-hmm. any mercy. You're just going to have to climb back up. What about with Gonzaga? I, I know they, they lose a game or two and people start getting upset like we were talking about with, with North Carolina. But you know, to, to their credit, they're playing a, a really difficult non-conference schedule here. So uh, any concerns about the Zags? Well, the first sign that something could be amiss and maybe that Tennessee was better than we thought was in that exhibition game that didn't count. But Tennessee scored 99 and won by 19. And that, that opened some eyes. Then they go down to Texas and just get lambasted. And as we said, Purdue handled them pretty easily. I think their defensive efficiency, their offense is still nothing wrong with it. They lead the nation for Ken Palm and offensive efficiency. But I think opponents are shooting 50% from two against them, which is not good. And their assist to field goals made is only 50.5%, which is 187th in the country. That tells me about Gonzaga a couple of things. Uh, their offense is fine. They're number one in the country in offensive uh, efficiency per Ken Palm. But defensive efficiency, they're 51st. They don't have Chet Holmgren protecting mistakes at the rim. Uh, opponents are shooting 50% from two against them, which is not good. And then the other thing that I noticed, their assist-to-field goal ratio is 50.5%. That's 187th in the country. They really miss Andrew Nembhard. They've got some young guards. And then Malachi Smith, who came from Chattanooga, he played the point here. I was able to see him a lot. Obviously, I teach there. But he, I, I knew he was not going to be, if anybody thought he was going to be a replacement for Andrew Nembhard, he's just not that player couple other teams uh, to talk about that had good weeks uh, Thanksgiving week. Tennessee went down to Atlantis, looked really, really impressive in winning, and Arizona went out to Maui and won that tournament. Give me a quick thought on both those teams. Tennessee, I, all the fans you know, were about to jump off bridges and hang Rick Barnes and Effigy after they lost to Colorado and Nashville. Didn't really look good doing it, but I didn't think that was indicative of the team they are. It was a wake-up call, though, and they really couldn't stop Colorado that day. Colorado got to the rim at will. And they used the week between games to get a lot better uh, defensively. And they just laid the defense on three straight opponents, Ball State, 
USC and later Kansas in the battle for Atlanta. And it's really impressive. Uh, Tennessee now has five straight wins over AP top 10 teams and four straight over top five teams. And they held Kansas to their lowest offensive output since 2014, which is crazy. Uh, they're a high-scoring team, as you know. So Tennessee uh, really was one of the winners of Feast Week. And I like Arizona. Uh, Tommy Lloyd is the real deal. He was Mark Few's assistant for more than 20 years at Gonzaga and obviously learned a lot. He's gotten a ton of... Uh, of, of production out of Omar Ballo, who actually followed him from Gonzaga. He was a little used uh, big man at Gonzaga, but uh, when they won Maui, he averaged 21 and 10.7. He's a Pac-12 player of the week, so this kid has come a long way. He's just a big dude, and he's learned how to use his body and score in the post. So Arizona, uh, they're not going anywhere, apparently. Big news for scheduling this week. The SEC Big 12 and ACC Big 10 challenges are going to end after this season. SEC ACC will be coming soon, and to me that sounds great. What about this move? You know, you could you knew something was going to happen when the Big 10's broadcast deal included Fox, CBS, and NBC, but not ESPN, which has broadcast these games for years. Right. So that was the end of, of the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, based on that alone. But I think it's a great thing for the ACC and SEC to get together. I think it might uh, bode well for the future that North Carolina will not be pirated away by the SEC, as uh, some have suggested, because this is a potential moneymaker and, and a big exposure tournament for uh, the both leagues, even though they've both got their own networks and everything. But I look forward to some of the matchups, you know, Kentucky playing Duke or North Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, all good teams uh, playing people like Syracuse and Notre Dame. It, it's going to be a great, great matchup. Uh, I will miss the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It's kind of sad to see it go. Uh, SEC Big 12 is also history. I wasn't as enamored of that as I was the ACC Big Ten. But I think this SEC-ACC has some real potential. Yeah, it's neat to think about seeing some of the SEC teams playing at a a place like Cameron Indoor Stadium. I mean, think about Kentucky playing Duke uh, on the home courts. I mean, they play on a fairly regular basis in you know some of those uh pre-conference events you know in chicago or indy or wherever it might be but you don't see them play home and home very often that that'll be uh, fun to watch and yeah to, to see all these sec squads go some of the acc places and uh and take on those teams and vice versa will be some uh, cool matchups coming and, in, and i in assume years to come. it'll be i assume it'll be early in the year like right. the acc big 10 is now i think that helps the sec because the AC or SEC Big 12 challenge was always in late January, and I just think I don't know. I'm I'm of the opinion that non-conference games in the heart of your conference season are sort of disruptive in a way, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I don't know might mess up your mojo or your continuity. So I think it's better for the SEC if if it is an early early season tournament and not one in the in the middle of conference play. 
Yeah, it always seems like that the game was a little out of place. I mean, there were fun matchups, but at the same time, you didn't have enough teams from the Big 12 to, for everybody to have a matchup, and that part made it uh, right. made it difficult, too. So you got like four teams playing conference games, and you got everybody else playing the, the non-conference games that weekend, and you know it, it creates some open dates here and there in, in the conference schedule. So, yeah, that will be coming uh, down the road, but uh, SEC Big 12 and ACC Big 10 challenges will come to an end after this season. Chris, our, our guest this week is a guy who is in his second season and his second time around with Purdue as an assistant coach. He was also at Creighton, head coach at Missouri State. Uh, Matt Painter's staff going back to SIU, which is his alma mater, and I, I remember seeing him play back in the day. Uh, he is Paul Lusk. Paul, how you doing this morning? I'm great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, back, back after a, uh, some some challenging travel, but uh, some success as well. You guys uh, come in with a 7-0 and record after winning by 10 at Florida State last night. Yeah, we feel pretty fortunate, especially, you know, starting in the Pacific Northwest and uh, had some travel issues getting back to campus, got home really late. And then um, our trip to Tallahassee uh, had more travel problems, got in. I think we ended up, it was about three in the morning we got in and uh, then had to play. But uh, feel pretty fortunate to be in the position that we're in. It's good to get the guys back. We got back late last night and they'll have the day off and uh, get ready for our Big Ten opener. Coach, you guys have had an unbelievable week and produced all kinds of numbers and crazy stats, but here's the one that impresses me the most and tells me that you underestimate the Boilers at your own peril. Purdue has nine all-time wins as an unranked team against AP top two teams. No other team in history has more than four that is incredible how do you explain that kind of success that's unbelievable well there's been a lot of stability in the program obviously coach painter's done a great job with the program um knows what he wants in recruiting um and just have, have had a lot of success and uh uh this last five game stretch starting with marquette who i thought is really good. I think Marquette's going to have a very good year, but beating Marquette, West Virginia, Gonzaga, Duke, and then going to Florida State. Florida State, uh, they've got a great program. Their their team this year has struggled, um, but uh, we knew it would be a it would be a tough game. So we feel pretty fortunate to be where we're at. Coach Zach Eady's obviously the big story, but. Your freshman guards have come in, uh, Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, and have really played like veterans. Can you talk about them? Well, you you know that they, when you watch them um, during the recruiting process, you know that they're they're cerebral guys. Uh, they have basketball savvy, um, but yeah, they've they've exceeded our expectations they're they're good players uh they know how to play the game they can dribble pass and shoot they're tough they're competitive um they do not lack confidence and i think you have to have that but uh we've been very pleased with them um they're freshmen in big moments and i think what happens with all players but in particular freshmen they can have some good moments but then they go through some struggles. And now does that 
do those struggles? Is that a five minute stretch? Well, can they bounce back? And, and anytime those guys have uh, gone through some growing pains, even within the game, they've always bounced back. And I think that's a very good sign uh, for freshmen, but yeah, they have a lot of poise. Um, they, 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 they carry themselves like they belong out there and they certainly do, but yeah, that's been Zach's Zach's been, Zach's been dominant, but, but those two freshman guards in the backcourt to play the high level games that we've played and to be on that stage this early in the season for them to respond like they've responded that that's been very positive for us. Our guest is Purdue assistant coach Paul Lusk. I want to ask you about Zach Eady. He had 25 points and eight rebounds against Florida State. He was the MVP in that event out in Oregon. How has he developed into one of the best players in college basketball? Well, I think that's exactly uh, what has happened. It's been development. Um, he was not a big-time guy. He's worked. He, he's a big guy. Coach Painter always says it. Um, he's a big guy. Like, if, if he was six foot if seven footers were six foot, would they still play basketball and love it? Um, you know, that's, that's the question you have to ask yourself. The, 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 the answer to that with Zach is yes, he loves basketball. He's, he's, uh, he's got a great ethic. He has his routine and he's just continued to develop. I think the biggest thing this year, um, his free throw percentage is better. Um, but he, he's, he's become a better rim protector. Uh, he's become better in ball screen D. Um, he sees about everything that you're going to see uh, when he catches the ball in the post, all kinds of different traps. Uh, so he's become a better passer. Um, but there's no doubt you have to game plan for him. Uh, he's a dominant, he's a dominant player. I was looking at like rebounding and defensive numbers for you guys. Uh, you had 12 offensive rebounds against Florida State, and you out-rebounded the Seminoles 46-31. And then against Duke, you held them to 36% and two out of 19 from three. You know, Everybody likes to play on the offensive end and score points, but but how's your team so good in those areas and getting guys to buy into those elements of the game? Well, I think it's harped on uh, rebounding. If you can, If you can be a good rebounding team, uh, the numbers say that you're always going to have success. Um, we we weren't um, we weren't very probably connected uh, on the defensive end last year. Um, we're we're much better this year. I think while we don't have any dominant probably defenders, Ethan Morton's probably our best individual defender, and he's very versatile, so you can move him around. I think we've just made improvements. I think guys are connected. I think they understand positioning. Uh, I think they understand uh, scouting reports. Uh, they follow them, um, and it's and it's shown with our with our defensive numbers and rebounding numbers. So we have to continue to do that, um, and, and that's been that's been a very positive sign for us early in the year. Paul, you mentioned earlier, Matt has a specific kind of player that he looks for. And those of us who follow basketball can pretty much figure it out. You know, guys that can shoot high basketball IQ, high character. But if you were to pinpoint something, a trait that he's really looking for, uh, for team building, what would it be? 
Well, I mean, I don't know that there's one particular thing, but he, he spends a lot of time on trying to figure out, you know, talent can seduce you, right? Like, so like you're always looking for talent and you want talent, but you also want to find out who that kid is, who are the people around him, what makes that kid tick. And then, uh, in terms of personality, will he fit with what we're trying to do here at Purdue? And I think, I think he's done an outstanding job of that. And then, and then obviously shooting's very important. Um, I remember in the early years uh, at Purdue, and the games changed with spacing the three-point shot. We would have some guys that that maybe couldn't shoot as well, but yet they still they brought other winning qualities. And I think just looking for all of those traits, winning qualities, cerebral, dribble, pass, shoot. Um, he's obviously gone all in on trying to uh, play through uh, the post and, and have a dominant big man. And um, when you add all those things together, um, you know, you can put together a very good team regardless regardless of what a particular player has been ranked um, by the so-called gurus so I think I think that's been really important uh, it, it doesn't and 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 Matt's always kind of been that way he, he he doesn't really care who's who else is recruiting a guy or what the rankings say or we should be on this guy he he wants to find the right guy Paul, before we let you go, what I wanted to ask you about just playing at Mackey Arena. I mean, in a league with a lot of great buildings, that that is right at the top. I've been there a time or two. How do you feel like that building and just the crowd feels like it's right on top of you? How does that give you guys an edge, especially when you get into those big conference games? Boy, I'll, I'll tell you, it's – and I was here uh, in the early years um, um, for Coach Katie's last year and then Coach Painter's. Uh, early years and we've always had great crowds but when I got back a year ago our first exhibition game against Indianapolis there wasn't a seat in the house it's just we have great fans Um, it's it's a very loud place they really care Um, and our fans want to see teams that play hard and do things the right way but I think just overall in the Big Ten for what the last 30 years as a conference, um, they've led the, the entire country in attendance. And and uh, that's definitely the case at our place. We have great fans. It's loud. It, it's a it's a it's a great venue to play college basketball. And our student section is just they're terrific. Uh, they come out early. They stay late. Uh, they really care. Is that the paint and crew? And I'll t- yeah, the paint crew. And I'll tell you, I think it was the gene, the gene pool when Coach Katie was here. But <laughs> it's just, it's gotten, it's gotten better, and uh, they're they're phenomenal. But you know how important that is uh, to to have a great home crowd, and and really what you worry about when you're young sometimes, guys, is that. Uh, even your own players, uh, the the new players that haven't been in that. Sure, you're at home, but they're like, holy cow. David Jenkins is is a guy that we've got, um, and it's his first year. And he he just couldn't believe it even after our first exhibition game. He's like, <laughs> he's like I've, never, I've never played in front of crowds like that, even for big rivalry games. So 
uh, great fans, and and uh, we want that to continue because it is certainly an advantage for us. Everybody cranked up for the big football game this weekend. Yeah, it should be it should be good. We've been going a mile a minute with all the travel and all the games, but yeah, very very happy for the football program. Um, it's a big opportunity. Paul Lusk, thank you so much for the time. Uh, really appreciate it, and all the best to you guys. Off to a great start. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a thanks, great day. Thanks, Coach. Get some rest now. All right, see you. Fun visit with Purdue assistant coach Paul Lusk. And as I said earlier, I'm old enough to remember seeing him play at SIU for Rich Heron back in the day. He was a all Missouri Valley player. He was really good. Played a couple years at Iowa, but uh, has had a very successful coaching career as well, including a, a stint as a head coach at uh, what is now Missouri State. So uh, fun to visit with Paul and man, that Purdue team, they got it going on and we'll uh, keep track of how they do as we get a little deeper in the season here. Chris, uh, do want to mention a a significant person from music who passed away this week, Christine McVie, uh, voice of several of Fleetwood Mac's biggest songs, including Don't Stop and Little Lies and Everywhere and and Ryder on many, many more. Uh, Gosh, that that was sad news to see, you know, for, you know, a a band that's been around a long time and had tons and tons of hits. And and, and she almost, with so much attention on Stevie Nicks and, and, and the others in the band, it's almost like she she doesn't get the attention and recognition she deserves. But uh, I think a lot of people maybe that didn't know or understanding more of, uh, of how much she really meant to that group. I was absolutely stunned when I saw on Twitter that she'd passed. Uh, uh, not a lot of details, but she was, I'd say, only 79. Uh, but uh, it was a short illness, whatever it was. And, and uh, just a stunning, stunning departure. I'll, I'll miss her and... I was of the era in college where if you didn't have the Rumors album and Frampton Comes Alive and Hotel California, you were just not with it at all. <laughs> and I remember the, the uh, I don't know what the best word is, uh, the revival of Fleetwood Mac after they got Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. But Christine McVeigh bonded with Stevie Nicks from the very first night they met over a Mexican dinner meal. Uh, they said, hey, we're a couple of, of, of girls in, in, a, in a boys club and we're going to band together. We're just as smart. We can write just as good of songs as they can. And their friendship stayed through thick and thin in, in a band that would have to be described as tumultuous. But uh, yeah, she she was really the, for, for want of a better word, I'll reach out to basketball. She was the glue girl of that yeah. team uh, uh, for sure. And I'll miss her. I'm, I'm really grateful that after several years, she tried to retire. She all of a sudden developed a, a fear of flying and she retired to her, her English country home. And they finally talked her back into the band and she she went on tour. And I got to see them in Nashville uh, as a fully functioning group from, you know, from their heyday. And it was really a great concert. We had really good seats and I'll never forget that. I'm glad I was able to see her one last time before sure. they, uh, you know, kind of went their separate ways again and fired Lindsay. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever tour again as Fleetwood Mac. Uh, she was definitely the heart and soul of that band, though. Yeah, you were talking about those albums a minute ago, and uh, I think like I've told you I inherited my uncle's record collection. He, yeah, that's right. He, was he a, a DJ? Yeah, he was a DJ, but more than that, he was just like a rock and roll dude from the 70s, and all those albums yeah. you mentioned are in the collection 
Uh, they, oh, they, they, they were staples. Rumors man. and Frampton Comes Alive, Hotel California, like all the Zeppelin stuff and Rolling Stones. Asia it, it, from, oh, from Steely it, Dan. It, it's yeah, that's in there too. Yeah, it's amazing. Silk Degrees, Boss Gags mm-hmm. was another one. Yeah. You had to have those or you just didn't know what was going on, man. <laughs> Linda Ronstadt, Heart Like a Wheel, oh, yeah. I think it was yep. called. Sure. I loved Linda Ronstadt. Long may she live. All right. Well, if you don't know what's going on on Andor, we'll give you our quick uh, <laughs> update to finish up this episode of our show. It was a very eventful 12th and final episode of this season of Andor. And Chris, I was very disappointed when you told me that you didn't think the next season of Andor is going to be out for quite a while. And uh, if you haven't seen it, then you might want to pause our podcast for a moment. We'll give you a quick spoiler filled update. They had the, the funeral for Cassian's mother and it was you know, the Empire was hoping that it would draw him back so they could capture him. Everybody under the sun was at this funeral in, in this little village. <laughs> and then everything happened after it got going, including, you know, the group that was really celebrating her life. They they showed this hologram image, and then the Empire folks got yeah. mad, and then everything kind of blew up from there. Yeah, in fact, it was cool. From the grave, Marva, uh, who was uh, Cassian's adopted mother, she had this message it's like it's time to boogie you know uh there was this kind of covert action against the evil empire for a while and what we're seeing and and star star wars fans should be very psyched about this was like the 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 uh, ground zero uh, of of the insurrection and like you said it was a battle royal uh, Cassian was there, but they never did catch him. He was able to free Bix from her evil captors and her unusually audio-based torture. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was listening to our podcast. I don't know. <laughs> you beat me to the punch on that one. <laughs> I, I, I got to be quick for you, man, because you are the quickest Segway guy uh, in history. But uh, here's the thing that I don't understand. Even as people praise Andor, I read a reviews in the ringer and rolling stone they they say it was a great show but and it's like we didn't get enough cassian i'm like what didn't you get you know i know that he was from another planet and and he he was taken by marva and and raised as her own and and uh he became sort of a self-centered kind of ne'er-do-well that scraped to get by and then all of a sudden uh, he gets incarcerated and decides, hey, I want to fight for a cause, not just for me. What else is there? You know, that's that's plenty for me. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we're getting this whole world building thing of, of how the insurrection began against the Empire. And I think it's a fantastic show. I think it's, dare I say, as much as I love The Mandalorian, I think this and or 12, uh, 12 part series uh, season one, I might add, season two is coming. I don't know when. Uh, dare I say it's it's the best spinoff of the original three films helmed by Lucas that that I've seen, and I really like it a lot. I, I love Mandalorian, but in a different sort of way. This right. was something that I'm a big Star Wars fan. I'm not a Star Wars junkie, not like I am with basketball. Uh, or golf or something like that but uh this told me a lot it 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 filled in a lot of blanks on why things got started the way they did and it's going to be a great segue into our favorite spinoff movie i know you like it too rogue one sure uh 
I hope uh, Jen Erso shows up somewhere in the second season. Surely she will. And get us into the events that, you know, Cassian, I think it, every, I, I teach this in my writing class, every story is like the hero's journey. You start and you go around the world and you fight all these fights and do all these battles and you get back home again in time for breakfast. Uh, <laughs> and Cassian has made that hero's journey. Like I said, he was uh, sort of a ne'er-do-well, kind of a scrappy uh, hustler type of guy. And and now he's going to be part of the group that steals the plans to crush the Death Star and, and thus uh, preserve democracy in the galaxy. So... Uh, I think it's a heck of a story. These critics, I just don't know what they want, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I really I just don't know. I don't know either. You, you can't please everybody. No matter what you do, there's there's going to be somebody that doesn't like it. But uh, I, it, it is very different from some of the other series from Mandalorian or from Obi-Wan or uh, – it's it's yeah, it's, not it's a lightsaber to be seen. No, and, and it's darker too. There's there's not yeah. there's not a lot of humor going on in Andor. No, no. Uh, you know, while they're in, in those other series, though, there, there are some lighthearted moments. There's not a whole lot of that going on in this one, but it, it's really good. I, I love Rogue One too. I, I think that's a terrific movie, and I've actually gone back and watched it again here Me recently too. to to sort of remember how it all fits together but i play the last 20 minutes on, on constant rotation i just think it's such a touching scene where where cassian and jen know that you know they've got about a second or two to live and they've embraced yeah really cool really cool stuff well chris i don't know if we're one with the force but we're one with basketball and uh, we'll do it again next time on our blue ribbon college basketball podcast uh looking forward to it already buddy He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you next time.